Hey everybody, how's it going? Happy Sunday. God, thank you for today. Thank you for all the blessings that you've given us, especially this gift and the blessing of life. Guide us in your way, in your thoughts, with your wisdom and your strength. You are our Lord and you are our protector, creator of all things. We worship you now. Amen.
mandolin. That was fantastic. One of our best times. I mean, he was just flying through that chair draw. And those donuts. Really good. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Guys, so um, when can I start? Can I, can I get the job? About that. There was a couple tiny mishaps. A couple things that went wrong with nothing the Nothing too big. Nothing too big. It's just with our chair settings. Usually we like to have those at about a 23 degree angle. Really helps to bring the whole room together. Also, you forgot to skip a row with one of your offering basket handoffs. What if there had been another offering basket coming from the other and side? And then there was that issue with the donuts. I mean, halves, really? Thirds, man. We cut the thirds. What, you think we're just swimming in money here? What, next, we're going to start offering real creamer with our coffee? <laughs> you imagine. <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this one. Long ways. You cut it long ways. What am I supposed to do real with this? Real amateur mistake on that one. I mean... You really have some great potential, but I'm not sure you're ready for the big leagues. What are you guys doing to Kathy's office? What are you doing sitting at Kathy's desk? Oh, I'm doing my tryouts for the open usher position. There's no usher ministries tryouts. All you got to do is come to the host ministries training. Anybody can do it. Well, this just got a little awkward. <laughs> So the host ministry training is today. Yes. Would you guys uh, please give a round of applause to my wonderful brother-in-law, Alex Bourne, who made that video? Hopefully we're going to be having a lot more of those. Yeah, if you guys have ever wanted to join host ministries or know more about what it means to be an usher or a greeter or people that do the offering or throw salt out in the... Um, and actually, we found out that they actually have a little, like, dispenser to do those offering cups or the, the communion cups. We didn't even know that. So um, really good. You don't have to pour it out of the big jug if you end up doing that job. But uh, there's going to be training today after this service at 1245. There's going to be lunch and child care provided. And it's just a time to really get together and tell you our heart for what we think host ministries can be and what we like to, where we'd like to see it and just give you guys some encouragement and training on some areas of how we do things. We have an amazing host ministry team. Uh, the leaders that help run the doors and stuff. Clyde is always back there. It's awesome. I mean, we got some awesome guys that pour out their hearts on Sunday. So thank you to all of the people that pour out in that ministry. It's awesome. Um, <clears throat> And then today is also the Global Day of Prayer for Burma. If you saw the partners table out there, they have a ton of stuff for sale. All of that proceeds will go to uh, helping the people in uh, Burma. We printed these new We Will Stand With You hoodies. Uh, they're oatmeal color this time. So those are for sale. They're going super quick. So if you want one, you've got to get one now uh, or right after the service. Rather, don't do it in the middle of this preaching. They're $45 uh, for the hoodies, and uh, yeah, and then also at the door, they have cups that you can take home for your change, and uh, there's a huge thing about just being able to bring your change and put it in the big jug out there. We get tons of money that just comes from pocket change, so grab a cup on your way out uh, when you go home today, and then just start filling that up uh, with all your change and bring it back and dump it in, and it's amazing what pocket change can do to help change lives, no pun intended. Um, so at this time, we're just going to 
stand and greet each other. If you are visiting, we love to welcome you to the meet and greet. It's right in the coffee shop afterwards. Answer any questions you might have and just introduce ourselves. So kids are dismissed to Kids Church. And when we come back, we're going to be watching a video for the Global Day of Prayer. So just come back as soon as you can, sit in your seat, and then we're going to show the video. All right, so we're going to do something just a little bit different because it is the Global Day of Prayer. Um, we just thought it would be really appropriate as a church if we just take this time instead of 
a fourth song, if we can just focus our attention on to the conflict that's happening in Burma, and then just believe as a church and just take a time apart to pray for what's happening in Burma. So we have a four-minute video. If you want to just grab your seat and just get your eyes on the screens, uh, Dave Eubanks is going to tell us about the Global Day of Prayer. Perhaps... No ethnic minority group has suffered more in Burma than the Koran. About 40 Christian. They've waged an armed resistance against the government for more than 60 years. That's because the Burmese military has targeted these ethnic Burmese for extinction. Soldiers have killed thousands of Koran men, raped Koran women and girls, and destroyed their homes and churches. An army raid on the village of Ta Dadur last July left Mahala and 36 other families homeless. They started chilling, chilling, and then came and slept in our village. Before they left the following morning, they burned it. Ma and his wife survived because they fled the village moments before the Burmese soldiers arrived. My wife and I went to the church and we prayed. In my prayer, I said, All things belong to you, O God. I couldn't carry anything anymore. I just carried my Bible and my pistol. We left to another place to stay with our nephews. But many villagers have had nowhere to go. Government attacks in the past 18 months have caused more than 100,000 ethnic Chin Christians to flee to neighboring India. Overall, an estimated 200,000 ethnic Burmese are living in refugee camps. More than one million are internally displaced. David Eubank met pro-democracy leader Nobel Peace Prize winner Aung San Suu Kyi in 1996. She asked him to pray for Burma. Eubank started an annual Global Day of Prayer for the nation the following year. And he founded a humanitarian relief group called the Free Burma Rangers. The main job of the Free Burma Rangers is to give help, hope, and love. And for all that, I, I depend on God. But most of our people are, are believers. And our job is to give immediate help. That's medical help. That's tarps for places like this when they've lost their home. It's clothes. Mosquito nets, pots, pans, food. It's also to put a light on what's happening when the Burma army destroys a place. Helping the displaced Karen inside Burma comes with great risk. Some of Eubank's team members have been killed in firefights with the Burma army. Eubank has had many close calls. He's also been arrested in a neighboring country. Through it all, Eubank says he remains dependent on God. He and his team members seek protection and guidance through prayer. Prayer is uh, the the air we breathe and the spirit we have as we talk to God and we do everything as much as we can with prayer and I love it because God's answers are always very specific and very doable they may be scary they may be embarrassing they may be dangerous they may be humiliating they may cost you everything but they're very doable and they're very specific as for those the free Burma Rangers serve the Karen and other Burmese ethnics Many spend their days just struggling to survive. Many Karen became Christians because of the work of American missionary Adoniram Judson nearly 200 years ago. Mahala is confident the Karen's relationship with God over the years will save them. God loves the Karen people and will not allow the Burma army to destroy us. They pray to see a day when they will be free from the military regime that oppresses them. Eubank is confident that day will come. A friend of mine wrote me. He said, Dave, I just read the book of Daniel. And man, that book, I don't understand a lot about that book. But one thing became very clear. Tyrants fall. 
every last one of them. In the meantime, he asked Christians around the world to pray for Burma. Please pray to God. Ask God what you should do. When we come to God with open hearts and minds and willing, willingness, He guides us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on, on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Gary Lane, CBN News. Today is uh, March 8th. It's a global day of prayer for Burma. And we're going to pray in just a moment. But in Acts 13, there was a church there that was uh, in Antioch, and it was uh, during a time of prayer and fasting in which the Holy Spirit spoke. And he said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And since the beginning of the year, God has been speaking to us here at Friends Church about vision and more recently about being a congregation of prayer. And so we want to pray this morning for Burma. And we also want to remember that this calling, this uh, purpose for which Barnabas and, 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 and Paul were called is also been given as a prophetic word for Friends Church. Uh, specifically, it says here in um, Acts 13.47, For thus the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you should bring my salvation to the end of the earth. And so we here at Friends Church are connected to the ends of the earth. And one place in particular being uh, Burma and also uh, areas of Thailand. And so we want to pray for those who have gone out from Friends Church and also for David Eubanks and all these that are serving the Lord in Burma. So, Father, this morning we lift up the nation of Burma. We pray, Lord God, that you will overturn the kingdom of darkness that is reigning over that place and that, Lord, you will cause your salvation to come to Burma and there will be a, a turning over of the system that is there and that there will be a great release Lord, and a healing for that nation. We ask you to strengthen those that have gone there in your name, that, Lord, they will be filled with your spirit, that, God, those that live there, even though they are suffering, Lord, will be filled with your spirit and a presence and comfort, God. You'll strengthen them, encourage them, and enable them to keep going forward and to endure the tests that they are going through. Father, we thank you for David Eubank, uh, Matt Fetters, uh, Tom Robinson, Father, and others that have gone there to uh, serve you. We ask you, Lord, that uh, your grace would be strong upon them, that, Lord, the word of the Lord will go forth into that nation, and that, God, um, you will be glorified, that, uh, Lord, your, your healing, your blessing, your favor will rest upon them, and, God, you'll make them mighty, and, and effective in their ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Welcome to Friends Church. 
visiting with us. We're very glad you're here. Um, last week we finished a series on the Lord's Prayer, and today we're going to be looking at something that Jesus brings up just the next paragraph past the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, and that is fasting. Um, and it's something that I've been wrestling in my spirit about all week, and I got to the end of the week, and it was Saturday, and I was in my office, and I really felt like God told me I'm, I'm, I'm missing the point of what He wants to say this morning. So I rewrote my whole message last night. Um, we don't have PowerPoint. Uh, I think, thankfully, the outline still works. And I, I tried to get up early to come here to, you know, flesh it all out. Um, and I woke up at 7.30 because my clock was an hour off. So I, I had a lot of peace, so I, I was driving to the church, and I was like, God, I just want to trust that what you have to say will come to be. I know I've been soaking in your word. I know you have thoughts in my head that you've given me. I know that you have something you want to tell your body. So just, I have my faith completely rests in you. And as soon as I said that, I ran out of gas on the side of the Richardson. And... <laughs> I'm, I just started laughing, and I just... I confessed, again, I didn't change my thought. I said, I have complete faith in you, God, that you are going to speak to your body. So be encouraged because us as leaders, we don't have any game in this. This is just obedience. And what God is doing in us is He is convicting us and He's refining truth in us for the sake of our church. This is not about a man in a pulpit. This is about God speaking to His body. So I know that what He's been convicting in me and what He's been welling up in me and the time that I've been on my face in prayer is only that the revelation of what He wants to say to us is clearer. And that's my position as a speaker. So Father, we come to You this morning, God, expecting to meet with You, God, as we get into Your Word. I pray that You would just speak to us, Lord, that Your words would be just potent, God, that um, it would just pull at our hearts, that it would reveal the places in our lives that just need to be refined and laid at the cross. And God, as we, uh, the ushers are here this morning, Lord, as we just take our tithe and offering, Father, I pray that we would be uh, good stewards with the money that you have blessed this church with. God, that we would use it for the, for the furthering of your kingdom, for the glory of your name. Lord, that all of its focus would be on You and Your purpose and what You want to accomplish in this valley. So Father, we just thank You for this time this morning that we can just continue worship as we get into Your Word. May You be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, if you have your Bible today, that would probably be a good idea because we don't have PowerPoint. But flip to me, flip, flip to me, flip with me. I got two hours of sleep, bear with me. Flip with me to Matthew 6. And this is where we hear the first thing of fasting in the New Testament. Jesus has just finished the Lord's Prayer and He gets into 6.16 and He says this, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces like their fasting may, so their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. So Jesus starts this topic of fasting the exact same way that He does uh, the Lord's Prayer. 
when you pray, when you fast. So we can assume from the text that this is something that the disciples were doing. There is never a point in the Bible where we are commanded verbatim to fast. Um, We're going to look at that in a little bit. But it's interesting because what Jesus doesn't do is give us uh, a step-by-step process in which we fast. He just tells us what not to do. And then He ends. And that is all the instruction He gives us on fasting. Um, But we can see a couple things here. And it's amazing that this is an issue because it's seen through the whole entire chapter. Giving to the needy. When you practice righteousness, don't be a hypocrite. Lord's Prayer. When you practice prayer, don't be a hypocrite. When you fast to me, don't be a hypocrite. There's this amazing sense that as humans, we get it in our head that acting holy gives us something that's worth having, obviously. Because Jesus is having to combat this idea. He's like, what is your motive? Why are you doing this? Like when you pray, are you praying to be seen by men? When you fast, are you fasting to be seen by men? Because you will get your reward. But it is very different than what the Father's heart has for you. And it's interesting the way that he frames this. Because in all of these statements on hypocrites, this is the one that's interesting. Because he says, when you fast, pretend like you're not fasting and fast. Which is, don't be a hypocrite, but act hypocritical. Does that make sense? It's just like, what is he doing here? When you fast, I want you to anoint your head, which in Ecclesiastes we see just as what a uh, Jew would do to just, it would be like perfume. Like, I have a good life, I'm going to clean myself, anoint my head, put on clean clothes, you know, shave unless you have an awesome beard. And, uh, thank you. And get on your way, but don't talk about it. So he's saying, do it, but don't say it. It's because it's the motives of your heart. God is not impressed with your actions. He cares about your heart. And when fasting specifically comes into play, he's saying, I'm not impressed when you dishevel your beard. People would sit in sackcloth and ashes. They would put ash on their face. And he's saying, if the reason you're doing that is to be seen by men, good job. That's your reward. Now, when you fast towards me, where is your heart? And so it asks this question. There's this longing in this that, What's the motivation of your heart? You see, the motive of fasting is this. I'm hungry for you, God. What I need is God. What I want is you, God. It's like the longing that the psalmist says in Isaiah 42 when he says, As a deer longs for the water, so I long for you. God, I thirst for you, the living God. When when can I come and appear before you, Lord? This longing that says, Lord, beyond all other things, I don't care about the water. I care about your presence. So Jesus is saying here in Matthew 6, a heart that is right before God in fasting is a heart that is hungry for the things of God, not the praises of men. And this is where I shift gears because last night something just really convicted me and I feel like God wanted me to say it to our church is what are you passionate about? What are the things that well up inside of you? What do you spend your day thinking about? When you think of where you find your rest, what is the place that you go? What are the joys that well up in your soul? What are your convictions? Because one of the things I feel like God has been pressing on my heart in the last couple of weeks is that how much our convictions control our emotions, our reasoning, our decisions. They become our instinct. Like if I was 
to know at this very moment my wife was about to die. I was convinced of it. Throw away all obligations, throw away schedules. My whole being reacts to that conviction. Why? Because of who she is to me. I don't need a training seminar to know how to respond in love for my wife in those moments. You see what I'm saying? Our convictions are huge for us. And the thought has been going through my head in the last couple of months. And I've been talking to some of the men of the church and it's this question. Are we convinced that Jesus is God? Are we convinced that Jesus is Lord? I mean, it's easy to say when we're in church, right? Because no one's going to argue with you. We're all here. But what does your life say? What does your life reflect? Do we truly trust that Jesus loves us? How has that reality of the cross transformed your heart? Where do you find your rest? Do we long to be with God or do, are we satisfied with our flesh? Do we hunger for God's Word? Do we struggle with the same sin that we did 20 years ago? Do we believe that Jesus conquered sin and death and He's calling us into freedom? Church, and how does our lives reflect that truth? In Christianity today, it's so easy to get into the system of boxes. We go to church, we go to small group, we pray before our meetings, we put on those weird Facebook posts that say, I believe in Jesus and I'm not afraid. I mean, it's just like, it's become almost this ritualistic thing that's just like, this shows my Christianity is doing this step by step by step by step. And Jesus... He did not save you so that you could be stuck in religion and legalism. He called you into relationship. Wherever you are on the thoughts, on your thoughts about God, Jesus never intended your relationship to, with Him to be a set of boxes. And in fact, the Bible tells us distinctly that we, the church, are called the bride of Christ the bride. Let me tell you a picture of what that means. That means that He came to earth and He declared His love for us by proposing to us with His life. And before He ascended into heaven, in Ephesians 1.14, it says that He sealed us with His Spirit. It's the wedding ring. We are His bride. So through the Word, we know as His church that we are promised to Him. And this is actually the time in which we're supposed to be anticipating our marriage. It's the engagement. Like we're waiting in great expectations to be united with the bridegroom when He finally returns. But man, when you look at the church today, aren't we fired up about Jesus? How does the reality of that the fact that Jesus proposed to us in His blood and He sealed us with His Spirit and He calls us into redemption change our habits, our passions, our desires, our life? When we come to Christ, do we just Jesusize all of our earthly passions and say, I'm a Christian? Or do our desires transform and conform into His desires, into His will? I remember the day I got married. I woke up at 5 in the morning and I was sick with excitement. 
I was so excited to get married. I had to buy extension cords for the wedding that I showed up to Lowe's an hour and a half early and I sat in the parking lot till it opened. I'm like, I'm going to get in there as soon as the doors open. And when the guy opened the door, I was literally standing at the door and he's looking at me like, what are you doing, Fruit Loop? Like, I never was, you know, like I didn't know lumber was that important. But, and all day it was this feeling of, man, I cannot wait to see my bride. I remember that feeling. And when I look at the fact that we are called the bride of Christ and that this moment we are in a, in, a, in a time of an engagement, a longing, a waiting for Jesus, does it reflect at all the feelings that I had for my wife? It's convicting to me. See, it's interesting to me that in this paragraph of Matthew 6, and it doesn't give us doesn't give us a statement of, so when you fast, do this. And let me tell you why I think that is. I prayed about it a lot this week. Is because fasting is about an overwhelming sense of desire for God and a longing for Him and a response out of that longing. How can God just define to you, and when you long for Me? Love is a choice, church. It's the thing that He's drawn us with in the truth of the cross. He says... I stand at the door and I knock. If anybody shall answer, I shall come in and eat with him. He's knocking at the door of your heart and saying, will you let me in? Will you accept my love? Will you love me? And so fasting is in the step process in which we come to that is this legalistic process of religion. It's a response out of our desire to be with God more than any other thing on this earth. And when I spend time with my wife, nobody has to tell me how to have feelings well up within my soul to long for her. So why would we need that? See, it's a thing that comes when we truly believe that Jesus is God. When we truly believe the cross is for real. It's, inc- it's, in, it's, in, it's entire focus is about Christ. And the clearest way to find that is in Matthew 14. In this passage... The disciples of John the Baptist are coming to the disciples of Jesus and they ask him this question. They say, us and the Pharisees fast, but you guys don't fast and we want to know why. Like, why are we fasting on Monday and Thursday and you, you disciples of Jesus, you don't fast? And Jesus says this to them. He says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? We are the bride of Christ. And for a thousand years, Israel's in this time of mourning, this repentance of longing for God to be fulfilled. And they fasted in the Old Testament. And it was intense. Sackcloth, ashes, you know, disheveling your face, crying out to God with tears coming down your face. Lord, be everything for us. Lord, redeem us. Lord, remember your promise. And at this moment in history, Jesus says, God has remembered and I am here. I am the groom coming to claim my bride. It's a beautiful thing. And then he says this, the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast. Now some people believe that day was just in between the cross and uh, when he raised from the grave, those three days. There's a lot of arguments on that. But I would rebut that by saying in Acts we see like Uh, Floyd talked about in Acts 13, when they sent out Saul and Barnabas, they prayed and they fasted. When Paul was called into ministry, 
He prayed and He fasted. We see these times in the New Testament where men beyond the resurrection of Jesus prayed and they fasted, which means to us that Christ says this, the day will come when the bridegroom will be taken away and then they will fast. That's about as clear a command we get in the whole entire Bible to a call to fast. Because the truth is, is what he's saying is the day between when the bridegroom was revealed and when he returns, they will fast. Which means the time is now. For us as the body to be fasting. And longing for God. But it's so easy to get stuck with living our lives for the things of this world. To forget what Christ has offered us through the cross. We get so satisfied with stuff. Not even bad stuff. Good stuff. The blessings of God. That we forget about the giver of those blessings. Lord, I thank you for my family. I thank you for the stuff you've given me. I thank you for the job you've provided me with. And you can look at your life and truly with conviction you can say, I lack nothing. I long for nothing. I'm satisfied. That is a very dangerous place to be. Because God never made you to be satisfied with the things of this earth. He made you to be satisfied in the presence of Him. And if that's not our longing... If that's not our desire, then we're missing out on true joy. We're missing out on true satisfaction. And this is what James hits in James 4.4. 4. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it was for no purpose that the Scripture said this? And listen to these words. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made dwell in us. He yearns jealously over the ring that he has sealed you with. You are his bride. And so much of us have left the love of Christ and been satisfied with the love of this world. And we can look at our lives and we can say, truly, I don't long for Jesus because... I've sold out my love for the things of this world. And so, we fast. Now what is it? Fasting is not about sacrificing sin in your life. There is something that happens when we come in obedience to the cross, when we come to the realization of Christ, where we lay down the vices that control our souls. God doesn't call us to fast our vices. If you have things in your life that you know are sin, lay them at the cross. In Titus 2.11 it says, For the grace of God is revered, bringing, appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in the present age, present age, waiting for our blessed hope. The grace of God, the cross, trains you to lay down the world. That is a gift that you've been given. That you would not be satisfied or stuck in your vices, but that you could lay them at the cross and find redemption. So that's not what fasting is dealing with. That's obedience. Obedience is letting go of what is evil to grab on to what is good. What is God? Fasting is this. It goes a step further. Fasting is loosening our grip on what is good to grab hold of what is best. Loosening our grip on the gifts and the blessings that God has blessed you with. The good things in your life. To grab hold of the giver of those blessings. And to remember that those gifts in themselves are not the satisfaction of life. Christ is the satisfaction 
of life. And sometimes it's important that we train ourselves in godliness. This is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 7. He says, Have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. He's saying there is moments in your life where you need to do these actions to draw your hearts into this longing, to this realization that truly what you need is Jesus. How many of you in your life have spent wakeless nights worrying over your children? Wakeless nights staying up while they're sick? Or how many of you have lost or skipped a meal because you had to meet a meeting of somebody that you love? Because there wasn't enough food, so you gave it to your friend. It's not out of this response of feeling like we have to. It's out of a response of love. And that's what fasting is. It's setting aside the good things of life. Fasting is setting aside good things. In the New Testament, there's three things that I see very clearly. One of them being food, and that's seen throughout the whole entire Bible. Food is a gift from God. It sustains life. Jesus fasted for 40 days from food. But also there's sleep. Jesus prayed all night in preparation for picking his disciples. And then for those of you who are married, men, you're going to love this. In 1 Corinthians 7 it says that we are for a time to fast sex, for a time of prayer. Don't kill me. But in the context of a marriage, that is a gift, a beautiful gift of God. These are good things that we loosen so that we can hold on tightly to Christ. And Paul says this in a beautiful way. He says, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully matured, but I make every effort to take hold of it because Christ has taken hold of me. So not only do we loosen the good things of the world to tighten our grip onto what is best, but we realize as we tighten onto what is best, He holds on to us. I mean, how much of us are so grateful? We have a good Christian life and we go around and you can put your arms on and you can say, thank you, Jesus, for everything you do in my life. Thank you for the blessings that you have blessed me with. But the whole entire time, he's wrapping his arms around you and he's saying, I know that you're happy and, and that you're grateful for my blessings, but are you satisfied in them? Will you come to me? Will you hold on to me? Will you hold on to me? Don't put your arms out in thanksgiving. Reach your arms around me and grab me. So in a sense, fasting is that, that we would stop thanking God and being content with all the blessings that are amazing in our lives, but that we would put those down to grab hold and reach out for Christ. Paul goes on with this. He says, brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the promised prize of God's heavenly call in Christ. To Paul, he was his prize. He was his goal. And through all of the epistles that Paul wrote, you see the satisfaction in Paul for who Christ is. Fasting now doesn't only wait and long for the Messiah to come. He has come. So it looks back to the complete work of the cross and where there was mourning, now we have gladness. Like in Psalms 30 where the psalmist rises up his voice and he says, you have turned my mourning into dancing and my sackcloth into gladness. 
We look now in fasting and we see that the Christ has come. He has come and the work is finished. Our salvation is finished. So we rest on that. And that's where Paul says, in every situation I'm content. Whether poor or plenty. Because in every situation, Christ is the sufficiency that keeps me, gives me strength. But at the same moment in, in being content, Paul was never satisfied. I put away everything. I counted all his loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Am I content in who he is? Absolutely, because look at the cross. Do I long for him? Absolutely, because look at his eternity. You know? And that's what fasting is calling us to. In Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, it says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin that easily, so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, for who the joy that laid before Him endured the cross and despised His shame and sat down on the right hand of God. It's interesting to me that in this verse he says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin. What are the weights in your life, the good things that are keeping you from knowing God? He's not talking about sin here. He distinguishes the two. Good things and sin. Let them go. Grab hold of Jesus. That's all it is. It's not this legalistic process we get to. It's not this holier-than-thou thing that makes us better than people. It's not this thing we do before Hawaii so that we can lose a couple pounds to fit into our swimsuit. Right? It's a longing and a craving to know God. So now we're going to share some testimonies. Ladies, if you would like to come forward. Ultimately, church, we fast simply because we want God more than we want anything in this earth. And when we hold that truth solidified in our hearts and we come to God in prayer while letting go of the things that are good in our lives, powerful things happen. Because the fervent prayers of a righteous man avails much. Would you please welcome these wonderful ladies to the stage? Good morning. My name is Anne Marie Mattaccioni Chesser. One of my current journeys is to learn to talk with my father genuinely with intentionality. And my girlfriends that stand behind me are also on that same journey. We want to share a bit of this journey with you. Last April, our church began another round of the Women to Women Mentoring Series. It was clear to us that we needed to support our peers through continued prayer. And since April, we have met twice a month for a time of women fellowship and prayer. We began with a group of just five dedicated women and our group has grown to more than 30 over the course of this year. God has been faithful to us. We began with just the intentions of praying for our mentor and mentee pairs, but quickly felt God leading us to pray for our church. Last April, we started praying for agreement and vision for the church. Discipleship, that God would create a a disciple-making church. For church debt, so that we could be aware and get in alignment with God's will for us financially, for our leadership, our board, and our staff, and improved communication, for spiritual battles within the church and individually, to become women of prayer, have a time of prayer after each service and during the week, 
to raise our men to be prayer warriors and godly men for our children and youth ministries, for marriages, for women's ministries. The list is huge. We need it. Each one of us need this. Our prayer today are similar and many are answered. <clears throat> the difference is at first our prayers were mechanical and intentional, but now instead of us reaching out to God first, God is there before us. He blankets us with his Holy Spirit. Our prayers flow out of the heart of as if we do not know where we are going to pray for. Sometimes we don't know. He reveals it to us. We sense his will, we sense his power, and we sense his love. This experience has drawn us closer to each other in ways that are new and exciting. Each of us experience transformation and healing. I believe we are called to be a church of prayer. Hi, my name is Leslie. So <clears throat> a lot of you may not have prayed a lot with other people, so it's maybe scary. Don't let that stop you. All of us knew each other very little when we started this. But once you start praying with people, it just changes your relationship because you become, you become vulnerable to each other. Don't let that scare you either. It's okay. We all have issues. Everybody does. Don't worry about it. That's why we're here. That's why we're so hungry for Christ because he takes it and he changes us. And uh, you develop friendships. You do, I didn't have all these friends a while ago, like a couple years ago. I've been in church for like, I don't know, 40 years. But I had kind of pulled back. And now I have friends that I can call that will pray for me, that call me, that I pray for them. Men, women, all of us get together. Where two or three are gathered in his name, he's right there in the middle. That is scripture, Matthew 18. He's right there. So what happens is, I know women... We have gone to retreats and things, and we get all dressed up, and we don't know why we're dressing up for other women. It just happens. But when you get together and pray, all of that goes away. You're just like heart to heart. And, and for men, I bet it's the same thing. You don't like getting makeup on. But I'm pretty sure there's some macho things going on and pride and whatever. You don't want them to know anything about this. I can't fix a snow machine. I don't know. But I don't know. But all that stuff goes away because you're in his presence and you're praying together. And as a church, it's an invitation that Christ gives to you. Come spend time with me. Amen. Good morning. My name is Sonia. And I had taken Ambien. If you don't know what that is, it's a sleep medication for over seven years. I came back from Iraq, and the silence was deafening. I dreaded going to bed. I couldn't sleep. My brain was going a 1,000 miles an hour all the time. I did this for seven years. 
prescription medication, pop a half a pill, you're going to go to sleep in 30 minutes. But I knew I didn't want to be dependent upon anything. I can't tell you how many times I tried to stop taking this, and I was never successful. Two months ago, I didn't refill that prescription. I said, I'm done with this. I cannot be dependent upon this. I want to go to sleep on my own. All those other times, I was trying to do it. I made it all about me, and I knew it couldn't be about me. It had to be about God. And I was sitting in Anne Marie's kitchen, and I had to bite my pride, and I had to say, I need help. I can't do this. So with lots of prayer and lots of support, now I can crawl in bed, and I don't dread it anymore, and I don't cry, and I'm so grateful for my husband who came back from Iraq who snores like crazy. <laughs> now I lay next to my best friend on earth and I talk to the greatest person ever. I talk to God every night and I tell him how thankful I am for my life, for curing me of cancer, for five amazing kids, for a great husband. In the nights when I can't sleep very well, I just know I gotta talk to him longer. <laughs> There's some stuff I have to work out. Now I sleep great. God just wraps me in this awesome blanket, and I go to sleep. Good morning. My name is Rita. As I've learned of the journey of my life to pray, um, I've learned most importantly to have to have a repentant heart and to pray until there's a breakthrough. So many years ago, maybe five or six years ago, um, things in my life seemed out of control, filled with heartache and disappointment and fear. And out of desperation, I turned to the Lord and I felt led to search scripture on repentance this is so amazing. I learned so much. I was so excited and wanted to share this wisdom with my friends and church. And I heard the Lord's voice say to me softly, you must walk through that first. And then I sought the Lord more, and I felt led to pray and fast for seven days. I needed a breakthrough in my life. I came to my Heavenly Father for my marriage. I came to the Lord God for my children and their salvation. I took authority in Jesus' name over my sin, over my household. I took my hands off and gave him complete control and sought the heart of my Savior. I forgave those that betrayed me and sinned against me. And at the end of those seven days, something beautiful and supernatural happened. As we were in church listening to a uh, message on grace, at the end of the service, I heard the Lord spoke, speak to me, and he said, I have chosen you on this journey to break those strongholds and those generational curses of sin that have been handed down in your family. It's like, wow. <laughs> so, 
pray until there's a breakthrough. Seek him with your whole heart and you will find him. Hi, my name is Marnie Hazeler, and I'm here just to say to you today that he misses you, and he longs for you, and you take that personally. He wakes me up in the night, and, um, and I get up and I visit with him, and um, a while, a few weeks ago, he woke me, and I was wrestling with some things in my mind that were going on. And I just said, oh, I don't want to get up. And so I didn't, but I still wrestled all night long. I should have realized he was my peace. <laughs> the next night, I didn't get up when he nudged me. And then the third night... I was laying in my bed, and I said, Abba, you just seem so far away. Where are you? And he said something to me that, you know, can sound commonplace if you just want to hear these words, but it was so personal, and it was so clearly his voice when I said, Abba, where are you? And he said to me, I was there you didn't come. I was there, but you didn't come. I don't know how many of you have ever been stood up on a date before you got married, but you go and you show up at the restaurant or whatever, and you sit there and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. Maybe they're waiting to bring you the meal or whatever, and that person doesn't show and that's how personal he is to you. He is saying, would you just come? Just come sit with me. And we'll learn how to talk together. And that's what he wants from you. He wants time with you. So if he stirs you in the night and you think you can't sleep and you think it's called insomnia, put it away. He's probably saying, Come and sit with me just for a few minutes and just get up out of your bed and sit in a chair with him and say, Father, I'm here. What do you want to talk about? And he might lead you to read his word, but he might speak to you in different ways. He wants to know you more than you want to know him. He wants to visit with you. And in James, I always love this scripture that says, but you, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. And I love praying in the Holy Ghost. In your most holy faith. Sometimes our English doesn't do our faith much, much justice. But when we pray in the Holy Ghost, he considers that our most holy faith. And I encourage you to do that, to just seek him. He wants to be with you. Hello, my name is Audrey. And I'd like to talk about praying for my husband. 
and offer that as a suggestion. In my devotional the other day, uh, Martin Luther King has said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. The most powerful thing that I've done in my marriage is to start praying for my husband. I started that uh, years ago, four or five years ago. And at first I prayed for him in independently without him knowing. And then I, um, somebody told me one time that they were praying specifically for me and that was really empowering. It made me feel uh, strengthened. And so I told my husband, I, I, when I pray for him afterwards, I tell him that I prayed for him and what specifically for and to get him through his day at work and I pray for our marriage. And then uh, we started praying together for our marriage every morning. And that has really strengthened our marriage um, tenfold, I suggest it. It's not easy, but it's important. It's powerful. It's healing. Um, a couple months ago, six months ago, I don't know why, but we stopped praying for our marriage. We just got busy. Uh, in the mornings, we just uh, we said we love each other, goodbye, we're on our way, and we realized that um, we needed that back, that it was missing. And so we recently started praying together again a couple weeks ago, and uh, it just it brings healing. I, I can't tell you how much. And if, if you're not married, pray for your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your best friend, your parents. Pray for somebody else. It's very empowering. Hi, I'm Sherry Wheeler, and Emily File and I have recently um, led a Bible study on Max Licato's um, Before Amen, and we're going to show a short film clip now, and we're going to explain what this whole Team 120 is that we are calling you to be a part of. Intercessory prayer isn't rocket science. It simply acknowledges our inability and God's ability. We come with empty hands but high hopes. We come with the knowledge that he is able to do exceedingly more than what we could ever ask or think. That he supplies our needs according to his riches and pours the abundance into our laps. I have personally experienced the power of intercessory prayer in the life of our church. During the early 1990s, when I was new to the Oak Hills congregation, I had an opportunity to visit Skyline Church in San Diego, California. The minister, John Maxwell, invited me to speak. I agreed in exchange for his best advice on how to build a strong and healthy church. Well, John was quick to give it prayer. He specifically suggested that I recruit 120 partners who would commit to praying each day for the church, my family, and me. When I returned back to San Antonio, I announced the plan to the congregation. Within a month, 
exactly 120 people had volunteered to form the team. Six months later, I was happy to send a report back to John about everything that had happened as a result. In just those six months, we had twice broken our record for Sunday attendance. We had finished the year with our highest ever average Sunday attendance. And we were now well over the budget. We had nearly doubled our staff and elders and witnessed several significant healings. Antagonism in our congregation was at an all-time low and church unity was at an all-time high. I was stunned. Our church felt God's wind in our sails. And all we had done was increase our resolve to pray for others. It's happening again. During the three months I led our church through this study on prayer, our giving increased well over budget. Every single campus group. We again enjoyed our highest attendance ever. Even more, we saw more people come to Christ than in any comparable period in the history of the congregation. The explanation? Prayer. As we redoubled our commitment to pray, God redoubled his promise to bless us. Nothing pleases Jesus as much as being audaciously trusted. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, there's a sandwich for you. It's a prayer sandwich. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. James 4 tells us that we have not because we ask not. And in John 14, 12, it says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. We are calling you to join us and be part of Team 120. I think we have well more than 120 people who can pray here. I think we could be Team 240 or Team 500. Everybody here has a calling. In, I think it's John, Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew 22:14. 14. It said, for many are called, but few are chosen. How do you get to be chosen? The one thing I hate is nursery duty. I have five kids. I have eight grandkids. I have tons of nieces and nephews. I have held lots of babies for long periods of time. There was a long time that my perfume was baby spit up. So when Kathy comes and there's a group of us standing there and she says, hey, I need somebody to, to volunteer for nursery duty. Don't make contact with eye contact with Kathy. I don't want to do it. I love doing kids' church. I love women's ministries, but I do not like nursery. So there's always some person, it's usually Lauren, who when Kathy says, I need somebody for nursery, Lauren says, Kathy, I'll do it. So then Kathy says, you know what, Lauren, then I choose you. That's how you get to be chosen. You say yes. So we are asking you to join together arm in arm to be part of a prayer team that stands in the throne room of heaven before the God who made you, the God who created the heavens and the earth. And you stand there linked arm in arm with fellow Christians before that throne room and you pray for our church and you pray for each other and you pray for our community. And when the accuser stands there and says, you can't have that, 
then we can say yes, because in the name of Jesus, he said, if I ask anything in his name, he will do it. And we stand there 120 strong, 200 strong, 500 strong, and we silence the accuser. And Jesus will do what we ask. And we will not just see this body changed. We will see the city changed. We will see the state changed. You will see changes in your family, in yourself. And so I, I call all of you, who wants to be chosen? All you have to do is to say yes. How do you follow that? Um, so I get to do the nuts and bolts. So there's something really powerful um, when you sign your name. When you get married um, on the marriage license, you're, you can say the vows, but until you sign that, you're not technically officially married. Um, there's something just really powerful about putting pen to paper and committing. So that's what we're asking you guys to do. There's a little flyer in your bulletin. Um, and it just asks for your name and email and phone number so we can contact you if there's any needs that arise. Um, besides um, the seven points that are in the bulletin that we want to pray for. Um, but our prayer is that we would be a church filled with the Father's love, that we would be a church led by God's wisdom, set apart for God's purpose, who lives blameless before God, that we would be a church that is fruitful in every good work, that we would be a church that boldly proclaims the truth of the gospel, and that we would be a church who lives passionately for Christ. Those are our prayers for this body. You are all qualified. Someone once told me I struggle with, um, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified to teach alongside someone like Sherry. I'm not qualified to speak to you guys and encourage you to prayer. But guess what? God told me that I am qualified. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called, and we are all called. Okay? So, I really encourage you to commit to doing this. There are lots of um, opportunities. We have started meeting um, on Saturdays. Um, Anne-Marie has a group every other Saturday um, in her home. There is a, um, Rita is starting a group at, on the opposite Saturdays. We're meeting here. Last Yesterday we met here um, and we prayed over every single seat in this room. We prayed over the worship team. We prayed over the coffee shop, over the kids' rooms. We anointed this whole place with oil. Not spooky, not weird. We just prayed. And it was, it was easy because we love you and we want you to thrive. And so um, there's Saturday mornings. Thursday this week, starting Thursdays from 6.30 to 9, the church will be open in the morning, in the morning for all you early birds. Come pray with Sherry. Um, pray for the body. Take the, it's in the bulletin, so when you sign your name, you have to give this away so you don't get the little words on the back. It's in your bulletin. It's on the back. Put it by your mirror in the bathroom. Put it in your Bible. Put it, um, you know, don't block your speedometer, but put it in your car. So when you're, when you're at a stoplight, you can pray. You don't have to pray all seven of them at once. Try and memorize them. Maybe pray one in the morning and one on your way to work. Whatever it is, it's not hard. And it doesn't have to be scary. It's just talking to your father. Awesome. Thank you, ladies. Yeah, we got together as... 
pastors this week and went through this list, and we are so excited. Um, we added the scripture verse. Dave Chesser uh, showed us this verse that Paul prays in Colossians 1, 9, and that's really what we sort of blueprinted our prayer off of with a couple extra things that obviously God has asked us to pray for in His Word. But all of these prayers are based out of the Word of God and based out of, out of His heart of what He wants to accomplish in us. Um, like we talked about in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord desires to fulfill us. He desires to be the fulfillment of our church. And so we seek Him. Um, when you go away today, there's an amazing quote uh, from an awesome book on fasting and prayer called A Hunger for God by John Piper. Just read this this week when you think about the good things in your life and how they weigh when it comes to you being drawn into God. Um, and if you have a hungering to fast, I'm going to start fasting once a week up till Easter just to focus that God would bring... Uh, just clarity and focus for all the visitors that are going to be joining us in the next month. So I would encourage you guys for the next month, just take a day, maybe a meal or something, to just set it aside and focus on God in prayer, uh, asking for whatever He's doing in your life, whatever He's doing in this church. And it's amazing what happens when we seek our Father. So... Amen. If you guys want to stand, we're going to finish with a song. If you have kids in kids' church, if you wouldn't mind picking them up right now. Um, and have an awesome week, guys. If you need prayer, too, there'll be some people up front that are more than happy to pray with you.
Amen. You guys have a blessed week.